first of all, time to talk to uh, Bruce Shapiro and let me remind you that he's a contributing editor with The Nation magazine, the oldest left magazine on earth and the exec director of the Dart Centre for Journalism and Trauma at Columbia University. I've been a bit lax of late, Bruce. I haven't given you your, uh, your full titles. Joe Biden talked to Zelensky in the last 24 hours since uh, Russian airstrikes on residential areas of Kiev. He's made it clear that the US is still very much on his side. Yes, but you you also need to remember that in well, first of all, not only is the U.S. very much on Zelensky's side, it is working very very hard um, with the UN General Assembly in, in session to get a resolution condemning um, Russia's annexation of territory through the UN, and to do so with at least as many countries as passed a similar resolution back in 2014. Um, there's a, it's, you know, can be a challenge. You have big non-aligned states in Latin America and Asia and elsewhere that have been uh, trying to stay on Russia's good side. Um, but this is a big one. At the same time, we need to remember that in, in this um, arc of events from last Saturday's uh, attack, Ukrainian attack on the uh, the Crimea Bridge to yesterday's and this morning's horrific bombings, uh, missile strikes on civilian targets across Ukraine from Russia. Um, that Biden knows very well that in the background is the ever-present threat of, of nuclear escalation. Uh, he spoke last week with uncharacteristic candor on this front um, with the use of the word Armageddon and pointed to the Cuban Missile Crisis, said this is the the most dangerous moment since that point. And of course, this was following the very bellicose, nuclear-threatening comments um, from, from President Putin. Biden has, throughout this crisis, been playing a very delicate game in which exactly which weapon systems he's willing to give to Ukraine, not wanting to uh, pro provoke um, a, a nuclear escalation in the war and at the same time to enable Ukraine to defend itself. I think what we're going to see as the result of, of yesterday's and today's missile strikes, again, at civilian targets, a, a war crime at birth, basically. Um, what we're going to see is some additional uh, air defense systems, uh, robust air defense systems that, that Washington had been slow to commit to. Because, you know, what do we see in the background here? When Biden says it's like the Cuban Missile Crisis, it's important to remember the lessons from that. The Cuban Missile Crisis was marked by... Um, on the one hand, very dramatic public confrontation, threats, hard lines being articulated by politicians, and at the same time, um, very subtle signaling between Russia and the U.S. about what actions would be taken and tolerable. Would ships go across um, a blockade line or would they not? How far were we going to 
push a confrontation. Something similar has been going on here. Um, you know, Biden talks about Armageddon, and yet Russia knows perfectly well that Washington has been very slow to give Kiev, uh, Kiev uh, capacities that would now, uh, enable it to strike deep into Russian territory. Um, Putin, in his public speeches, is threatening nuclear weapons all the time now. Um, and you need to take that seriously. But at the same time, the Kremlin spokesman yesterday, when asked if the attack on a bridge was uh, on the bridge would um, meet the standard for uh, Russian nuclear retaliation, is it that degree of a threat to sovereignty? He explicitly said no. So there's a lot of, on the one hand, in within Russia, signaling internally, politically, to the most militant nationalist wing of Russian politics. Um, and at the same time, there is some kind of back-channel communication, if not quite negotiation, going on. Um, it's a, it remains a very dangerous time. But that, Biden that, also that knows. back-channeling was crucial in uh, the Cuban crisis. Are you confident or do we, do we know that it's of the, of the comparable calibre? No, we don't. And that's one of the things that makes it so dangerous. Um, you know, the National Security Advisor, Jake Sullivan, has made it clear that lines of communication are open without specifying what they are. Uh, there is some evidence that India or China or perhaps even Israel have been part of some back-channel communication. But there's no evidence that the kind of direct negotiations that you saw in the Cuban Missile Crisis where... Um, the journalist John Scally and others were involved in you know, little meetings in restaurants in Washington. We haven't gotten any evidence of that. The other complicating factor for Biden is that, of course, we are four weeks out from um, hugely important midterms. And in the Republican Party, um, support for the Ukraine engagement is by no means universal. In fact, um, you know, many in the Trump faction of the Republican Party um, do not want to see the commitment of resources. And polls show that nationally there is kind of declining American interest in the Ukraine conflict. It doesn't mean folks aren't supportive, but it's not anyone's top issue. So this is a very complicated moment for the White House, um, even as I think the broad trajectory of the war clearly has been and you know a decline in russia's ability to hold on to its own territory um is this latest escalation a kind of spasm of retaliation for the bridge designed to placate the russian nationalist uh, right or is it a strategic change on russia's part to the kind of all-out war on civilian life that we saw in Georgia and in Chechnya? Um, are they going to destroy the village in order to save it? Um, you know, that that's the danger in this moment. Well, let's hope that uh, when Putin said he isn't bluffing, that he's bluffing. But things are so fraught, I think it might be timely to have a soothing uh, reefer. And uh, tell me about cannabis in your country. <laughs> Well, you know, uh, um, I'm, I, there's no evidence that Biden is a smoker, but if he were, he might be doing so now. Um, look, Biden made a historically, genuinely 
very important announcement last week. And it was, on the one hand, a sound policy decision and also a bit of an October surprise in the election season when he declared that he was going to use his presidential pardon power to pardon all federal, uh, all folks uh, convicted in federal court of simple marijuana possession. Now, you know, this is not a lot of people. It's a few thousand people currently in prison. It's many tens of thousands um, who have criminal records that will be expunged. But to have a president of the United States directly enter the marijuana um, legalization debate like this um, is really quite dramatic. Uh, he also called on the the federal, he also asked the Justice Department uh, to review um, its policies, asked the FDA to review the um, s the criminalization of cannabis as a Schedule One drug, um, and you know s this is a major move in the U.S. that is. Uh, affects both the uh, or is pleasing both to the pro marijuana traditional pro marijuana left, but also the libertarian right. Um, but, but marijuana Bruce, is for heaven's sake, it's such a, a small move. You know, the U.S. has foisted its farcical and counterproductive war on drugs on the entire planet. I don't think this is such a huge step. Well, it's a huge step. In part, just because the federal government is doing it and it's symbolically enormously important, you also have to remember that the war on drugs, as we understand it now, is in part Joe Biden's doing. Back in 1994, he was one of the architects of the uh, key crime bill. He was chair of the Senate Judiciary Committee, which established our current sentencing guidelines. He was a war on drugs kind of guy for many years. It marks a significant change that is going to ripple not only through American policy, but I think internationally in the years to come. That doesn't mean it's enough. It doesn't mean that the war on drugs is now over. It doesn't mean that the, the uh, horrific criminalization of recreational drugs, which has left millions of Americans imprisoned and with criminal records, um, is suddenly gone. It does mean that some kind of tipping point has been passed. Look, New York State, uh, right next door to me, now has legal um, recreational marijuana. Connecticut, where I am speaking from, um, has legal recreational marijuana starting uh, next year. Um, this is a time of change, and this little announcement from Biden is part of that, and it's part of what makes this such a complicated time. Well, I'm glad he's turning over a new leaf and that that leaf is marijuana. <laughs> look, I'd briefly, in a couple of minutes, I would like to look at one at least of the important midterms. Can you choose one at random? <laughs> well, you know, it's hard to pick, but let's let's talk briefly about Georgia, such a pivotal state in 2020, um, and which now is pitting the incumbent um, Reverend Raphael Warnock, Democrat, and the pastor of Martin Luther King's old um, old old uh, pew, old church, um, Ebenezer Baptist Church, incumbent Democrat against Herschel Walker, a formal N former NFL player endorsed by President Trump, also an African American. Uh, this has gotten 
you know, wild and crazy in the last week because it turns out that uh, Walker running on one of the hardest, no exceptions, anti-abortion platforms in the country embraced by the evangelical right um, has been ha- has been paying for his uh, girlfriend's abortions uh, and has a, a growing number of children out of wedlock. The dynamic is complicated. Uh, the evangelical right has em- embraced Walker, and he's running as someone who he he says has uh, you know found grace. Um, <laughs> and on the other hand, you have Warnock, who is one of the most distinguished Christian pastors in the country. I have been in his church before he was in politics. He's a remarkably eloquent and community spirited figure and this race is one of the ones along with Pennsylvania and Arizona and a few others that is completely up in the air at this point it is a 50-50 race we don't know whether suburban and unaffiliated voters um, who supported Warnock last time are going to turn out we don't know whether Walker will spur Republican turnout in a very uh, tight registration race. There's just so much that's unknown. No one is confident of the outcome any more than anyone's confident of the outcome of these most important midterms since the Civil War. Well, you can trust the evangelical right to be absolutely wrong at almost every point in U.S. history. But look, thanks for that, Bruce. We shall talk again in a week's time. Bruce Shapiro, our Voice of America, and contributing editor with The Nation and exec director of the Dart Centre for Journalism and Trauma at Columbia University, which I've been neglecting to say in recent encounters. Find more great ABC RN stories that take you beyond the headlines on the ABC Listen app.